Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. It's Bob here again, and I've got Procrastination on Purpose, and I've got Roy Vaden back on the show. Roy, thanks for coming on today. Hey, Bob. It's good to be back here. (laughs) You know, uh, love this book. What can I say? I am a big believer in procrastination. Drives my (laughs) wife nuts. I say, honey, it's a technique. And I'm so happy you brought a book out to support my theory of life. (laughs) (laughs) I did that just just for you. (laughs) Procrastinators around the world are like, preach it, Rory, preach it. (laughs) Of course, they never get around to actually buying the book because they keep convincing themselves they'll do it later. But Procrastination, I think, as a word, has been given a really, really bad... It's got bad branding. What can I say? Mm -hmm. Um, So what's different... What's the difference between what people assume a procrastination is and what they mm-hmm. should know it should be based on this book? It's as we say. Hmm. Very nice. The strategy of procrastination. Well, actually, it's a tactic, I would think, more than a strategy. What do you think? Yeah, so so it, it is. And, and the book really isn't about, you know, how to have patience uh, so much. The book, the subtitle more aptly describes what the book is about, which is the uh, five permissions to multiply your time. Um and, and so there's five parts of the book, which are all, all built around this thing called the focus funnel, which we can sort of walk through the five parts of the focus funnel um, in just a second. But the book is really about how do the world's ultra performers, multipliers, as we call them, how do they actually create more time? Because everyone else just seems to be constantly busy and, and uh, we're, we're living in old paradigms uh, about, you know, with with a lot of cliches around time management. And we went on a mission to really dissect and understand, you know, how do the most successful people in the world think about time and do they think differently? And it, and it turns out that they do. And, you know, just really quick, Bob, to, to take everyone on a, a little journey of the history of time management theory. Era one was very one-dimensional. It was all about efficiency and speed. It was about developing tips and tricks and tools and technology to help us do things faster. It it kind of, as a body of work, developed in the 50s and 60s right on the heels of the manufacturing era. Well, it's not that efficiency is bad. All things being equal, faster is better. But there is a point of diminishing returns with efficiency, um, and, and that is evidenced by the fact that we all carry around miniature computers in our pockets these days, and yet somehow we're still never caught up. We somehow still never have margin. We still never have any extra time. Uh, In fact, in some ways, it feels like we're falling further and further behind. So in the late 80s, era two time management thinking evolved, and it really was brought into play by the late, great Dr. Stephen Covey. And he took us from one-dimensional thinking to two-dimensional thinking. And two-dimensional thinking was all about prioritizing your time. So not just managing your time by doing things efficiently, but as Dr. Covey said, prioritizing your time by doing things effectively. Um, And if efficiency is doing things uh, right, then prioritizing is doing the right things. And and Dr. Covey introduced this this four quadrants of time management, as he called it, where the y-axis on a chart was importance and the x-axis was urgency. And so this was a really big breakthrough, Bob, for for all of us because Dr. Covey gave us a new way of thinking about time. He he gave us something that showed, uh, it gave us a, a system by which we could score our tasks 
based on importance and urgency. And then we could reprioritize our tasks and focus first on what matters most. And prioritizing is very good. Prioritizing is a valuable skill. Prioritizing is something that we need today more than ever. And yet there is a huge limitation of prioritizing that nobody ever talks about. And that is this. There is nothing about prioritizing that actually creates more time. All prioritizing does is take item number seven on our to-do list and it bumps it up to number one. Um, In fact, prioritizing is more like borrowing time. It's borrowing time from one activity so that you can focus on another. But it doesn't help you create any more time to achieve the rest of the items on your to-do list. And so... um, you know, that is where we started really asking the question, how do, how do the world's ultra performers today think and do they think differently? And we found out that they do think differently. They, they think dramatically differently. Um, and, and now we are entering into an era of three-dimensional thinking, which is not managing your time or prioritizing your time, but it's about multiplying time. Mm. All right. Well, that's, uh, well, <laughs> you know, I've been, I'm, Every time you talk, it's like, oh, there's a good new question. Oh, then you answer it. And, oh, there's another good. Uh, um, I love that you you, you uh, mentioned Stephen Covey because we've had him on the show, uh, mm-hmm. actually his son. And talk about trust. Mm, the and, speed of trust, yeah. And, and gosh, talk about something that kills time. If you've got a manager, and, and I'm, you know, I deal with high-end managers all the time, and the problem most team leaders have or or people that are in upper management or middle management have is they'll work like crazy to get the task done that their uh, superior wants because it's part of the overall strategy. They get that, just do it, do it, do it. They present it and then finally once it's done and these thousands of man hours being put into it, that's when the manager decides to say, oh, well, now I'm going to actually look at it and read it and destroys it and said, well, you know, I wouldn't do it this way and then they're going back to scratch. Do you think... That's a fundamental problem too about the the, the procrastination process. Was, yeah, you you can gain more time, but is it the management of expectation? Is it the management of trust? Is the it, the management uh, of the person before they get the project saying, "Hey, dude, we're going to do this," and you probably won't like it a hundred percent, but if it gets the point across, if it gets you further along, can we just agree now before we do it that you're going to accept it, so we can just keep the momentum going? Or is that a slightly different strategy? Well, I, I, trust is a, a magnificent multiplier. And, you know, in one sentence, here's how you multiply time. And we call this making the significance calculation. So the significance calculation becomes the Z-axis um, to that time management matrix where if the y-axis is importance, which is how much does something matter, and the x-axis is urgency, which is how soon does it matter, then the significance calculation is is what gives it depth. It takes a square and makes it into a cube. And, and that significance calculation is how long is this going to matter? And so the way that you multiply time in one sentence is you multiply your time by giving yourself the emotional permission to invest time into things today that create more time tomorrow. I'll say that again. You multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to invest time into things today that create more time tomorrow. 
And there are lots of things that take more time on the front end to set up, trust being one of them. You know, proper expectations and communication is something that takes discipline on the front end to set up. It, it's, it slows you down, though. And so because we live in such a world of urgency where speed, we, you know, absent the significance calculation, we inappropriately overweight the urgency calculation and we place too much of an emphasis on speed um, and not enough emphasis on significance and long term. And so what happens is if I'm moving real fast, then I say, well, I don't have time to, to communicate these, these pro, you know, proper expectations. Hopefully it all works out. And then it ends up costing us time later. Whereas building relationships, investing time, developing trust, those are significant things. Those That's investing your time in a way that creates more time tomorrow. It's 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 why it's such a great title. Um, Stephen, Stephen Covey, the, this is the son, uh, you know, the speed of trust. It's just such a magnificent title because trust takes time. Trust slows you down on the front end, but trust speeds up everything dramatically in the long term. So trust is a classic example of something that multipliers value that uh, maybe, maybe much more than the average person. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. Cause I, I, I have clients that I've worked with for years and you know, the, the conversation goes like this. Uh, Hey Bob, I got a new project. Here's the brief. Uh, make it great. Thanks. That's mm-hmm. the brief. And then I have new clients that are, can we spend 23 meetings discussing stuff and that, and you've got to realize that that's the beginning of this relationship. Like you're talking about, you've got to figure out w- uh, the vocabulary. There's a huge disconnect with people's vocabulary that you have to learn. You can't just jump in, meet somebody new, and when they say something, it doesn't mean what they say. It's your interpretation of the reality. I mean, that sounds a very fairy, but really, it's a fundamental flaw in communication. And I'm constantly running into this, and people get a little frustrated with me at the beginning because I'm, I'm pedantic about stuff. Do you mean it this way? And oh yeah, we just had a discussion, and I here's an email back saying this is kind of what we talked about, and these are the things I'm going to action, and these are the deadlines that I'm going to give myself. Are is that okay with you? And nine times out of ten, that person say, oh no, I meant this, and no, no, I meant that, and then I'll do it again, and it's just me drilling down to figure out what they fundamentally need. So in the long run like in a month or two months, when the project's finished, it's exactly, uh, well, not exactly because it's never exactly, but it's damn close to what they need and they don't worry about it. Right, because you took the time to, to set it up on the front end versus just diving in. And, and the, you know, that, that human communication is such a critical part of, of multiplying time. Uh, and when you have great relationships, you move through things much, much faster. The... Um, you know, this thing we created, the focus funnel, um, the focus funnel is our attempt to create a visual depiction of the thought process that multipliers go through when they're evaluating which tasks to spend time on and which ones not to. And if you picture a funnel, um, at the top during the wide part of the funnel is eliminate. Uh, and these are the five strategies of how to multiply your time and they each have a corresponding permission. But the first is eliminate. Um, and can I eliminate this? Is this task even worth doing? If a task cannot be eliminated, then it drops down into the middle of the funnel, which is automate. Uh, can I create a process for this? Because anything I create a process for today saves me time tomorrow. If it can't be automated, then it drops down to the bottom of the funnel, which is delegate. You know, can this task be done by somebody else? If it cannot be eliminated, automated, or delegated, then that task falls out the bottom of the funnel and 
the only remaining question is because at that point you have a task that you know it must be done and it must be done by you. And so most chronic overachieving taskmasters will just immediately dive into doing that task because we we have this addiction to crossing things off our to-do list and gaining a false sense of security from the volume of tasks that we complete rather than the significance of them. But what multipliers do is they ask one key remaining question and they say, must this task be done now or can it wait until later? If the task must be done now, then you concentrate. Uh, that's the permission to protect. And that's doing the thing that only you can do. And, and there's some things that only you can do. Building relationships and, and creating proper expectations, communicating with your clients on the front end is a great example. It's, it's not something that can be eliminated. It must be done. It can't be automated by a machine. It can't be delegated to somebody else. That relationship is between two people. And so you concentrate on that. Well, the more fascinating part than concentrate, because concentrate is all about focus. It's all about eliminating distractions. It's all about the stuff that you, you always read and you hear about when you read about productivity. The more fascinating dynamic is when you, when you challenge yourself with that question, can this wait until later at the bottom of the funnel? If it can wait until later, then it shoots off to the side and it's not, uh, this is where we are encouraging you and inviting you and challenging you not to eliminate, automate, or delegate, but to procrastinate on purpose, which is where the title of the book comes from. And procrastinating on purpose is only one-fifth of the strategies for multiplying your time. But when you procrastinate on purpose with something, you don't procrastinate on it forever. What you do, we call it pop. You pop that activity back to the top of the funnel at which point that activity enters into this holding pattern where it cycles through the focus funnel and it stays there until at some point one of the other four strategies will get executed upon that task. It will either be eliminated because you will develop the courage to do what you should have done in the first place, which was to say no to it, or it will be automated or somebody else will step up and do it. It gets delegated or it dropped when it's at the bottom of the funnel and you ask that question, can this wait until later, the answer will, will shift from yes, it can, to no, it can no longer wait. And at that point, it slides down into concentrate, and it becomes a thing that not only must be done by you, but it must be done now. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, because when you were explaining the, the beginning part, I was going, aha, but couldn't you redelegate it? And then, boom, you went and answered that for me. And it was a better answer, because no, you don't delegate, you bring it up to eliminate then if you can't automate, and then your third choice is delegate, which is great because then you're taking a lot of pressure off your team. Yes. That you're not just dumping, 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 yes. and you're frustrating them. Yes. And that is such a good point that you mentioned, Bob, is eliminate, in my opinion, is the most important of all of these. It is where we have the widest swath for the most immediate opportunity for gain in our time. Um is it's like 70% of the things that we're doing can just be eliminated. And, and some leaders make the mistake of just delegating everything and, and not first challenging themselves to ask, is this even worth doing at all? And, and, and there it's a double whammy because now you're, 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 you're wasting time doing something that doesn't need to be done and you have the opportunity cost of someone on your team doing something that they could be doing that's significant and instead they're just doing something menial or trivial because you didn't have the discipline to, to ask yourself that eliminate question. And so when you pop an activity and it, it enters back to the top of the funnel, you're always constantly reevaluating 
Because if, and here's a way to think about it. If something can always wait, if it can continually wait, it's never significant or urgent enough to do now, then at some point you got to ask the question, should you even be doing it at all? And you develop that courage. But, but one, of the, one of the other big findings from this book in terms of how multipliers think that is beyond just the significance calculation is the other thing that, that multipliers know is that time management today even though everything you read is about tips and tricks, calendars and checklists, tools and technology, it's all logical. Multipliers have figured out that time management today is no longer logical. It's emotional. And our decisions about how we spend our time have as much to do with feelings of guilt and fear and anxiety and distrust as they do with what's in our inbox and when it comes to eliminate, the emotion that most of us are fighting there is guilt. We, we feel guilty about saying no. And so what ends up happen, happening is we say yes to things that we really want to say no to because we try to go through life without ever saying no. We want to avoid saying no. And the key insight that multipliers have made that maybe many of the rest of us have not yet is multipliers have figured out it is futile to go through life trying to never say no. Because any time that you say yes to one thing, you are simultaneously saying no to an infinite number of others. And so um, if you're not perpetually asking yourself that eliminate question, then what, what I can't speak for everybody, I guess, but I can definitely speak for me that if I am not consciously saying no to the things that don't matter, then what ends up happening is I end up unconsciously saying no to the things that do matter. Hmm. Well, and not only that, if you have a reputation for that type of attitude, oh, you know, if you ask Rory, you'll say yes or no, and that's the bottom line. You get this huge respect for your time because then if somebody says, can you do this, like come on my show, and you say, yeah, I'll, I'll spend an hour chatting with you, Bob, that's a huge compliment for me. Right. And I think it resonates. That means the time that we're spending, we're both on our A game. How can we make this the best 50-minute interview you've ever had? How can I make this the best 50-minute interview I've ever recorded? It just ups the game on all levels. Well, it does. And, and here's something else. Um, it's, it's really going, will it take 50 minutes for this to be the best interview ever? <laughs> and with that, we're closing the show. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, people, and, and just because you always say yes, doesn't mean that people respect you because very often those yeses, it's a yes, but it's a hesitant. Yes. It's a reluctant. Yes. And a reluctant. Yes. Is more of a disservice than it is a favor. Um, and what we're missing is the permission to ignore. We have to give ourselves the permission to ignore, to just realize, look, we have to say no. And if we're not saying no to things intentionally, then what ends up happening is we say no to our family. We say no to our health and no to our spiritual journey and no to our, no to our keeping our finances in order and no to these things that really are significant that really do affect our happiness. And everybody's all excited you know, about happiness these days. And it's like, well, happiness is a choice, but it's also a byproduct of being in great physical health, having meaningful relationships, being spiritually connected, having a fun social life and having finances in order. And when those things are in place, happiness is a byproduct. Mm. Absolutely. Um, out of all these practices, is procrastination your favorite part of this whole thing, or is it the eliminate your favorite part? Well, um, 
it, it, I would say neither is my favorite part. <laughs> I think I think procrastinate on purpose is the most fascinating one. Mm. It's obviously the most counterintuitive. Procrastinate on purpose, especially coming from someone you know the refer to the media refers to as a self disciplined strategist. Mm. Uh, it's like wait a minute, procrastinate on purpose, which is why we went with that with you know for the the title of the book. Um, and eliminate, I think, is the one where we we by far have the most immediate to gain from. Mm. But but my favorite is actually automate. Um, oh yeah, my favorite too. And automate is one that is only available to our generation more, much more so than any previous generation, and it's changing. Yeah, well, for me, I think automation back in the day was delegate. You would have more people doing stuff. You would have a secretarial pool, and you would delegate to that. And that was a form of automation. It was taking it, the task away from you. So really, we're not automating. We're delegating it to technology. You got it. Yeah, wow, that's a great, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and I've, I even struggled with the, what is the distinction between automate and delegate. And, and ultimately, it, it comes down to whether or not, um, you know, people are involved. Um, but, but, but also automate is just a process, you know, that you can set up today that, that saves you time tomorrow, even if it's saving you thinking time tomorrow. So like a chore chart uh, for a mom, right? It's like she may not be a uh, be uh, running a business. Although I, I always say anybody who runs a household is running a business. Um, and so, you know, if mom has a chore chart for the kids, that would be an example of automate because it, it prevents the fights about whose turn it is to take out the trash and to do the dishes and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, here was, here was one of the biggest insights for me. And I know Bob, you are always interested in like, what was your aha moment yeah. as an author? And, and this was, this was mine for me. And I literally did not realize this until I wrote it. Like it wasn't like an idea I had. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to capture that. It was like, I'm typing and I type this sentence and, and, it, and it hits me like a ton of bricks. Nice. And that is this automation is to your time. Exactly. What compounding interest is to your money. Oh, killer. So just like compounding interest takes money and it turns it into more money, automation takes time and it turns it into more time. Um, in fact, the way that wealthy people think about money is, is very similar to the way that multipliers think about time. In fact, many multipliers are very wealthy. I mean, they kind of go together because uh, multipliers don't think in terms of expenses, they think in terms of investments right? An expense is saying yes to something I should have said no to. It was a waste of time. It's something I'll never get back. An investment is like automation, is, is it might take me six months to set up a system, uh, or, or even just to use like a ubiquitous example, um, you know, like let's just say you ask the average person off the street, you said, hey, do you happen to have two hours open in your day today with nothing going on that you could set up online bill pay? For example, if you went up to the average person on the street and you said, do you have two hours open in your calendar today just that are free that you could use to set up online bill pay? I think 98% of the working population would be like, no, no, I do not have two hours just open in my day. In fact, I can't remember the last time I had two hours in my day with nothing going on. I don't think that has ever happened. And if I did have two hours, I would be using it to catch up on email or do something. I would not be setting up online bill pay. And that's exactly how most people think. But that's not how multipliers think. A multiplier realizes, they go, you know what? If 
if I were to invest two hours today to set up online bill pay, and then and then because it's automated, it saves me 30 minutes every month from paying those bills, then in four months' time, I will have broken even on that investment of time that I have made. And every month thereafter, I will be getting something that we call in the book, not ROI, but ROTI, return on time invested. And so every month thereafter, online bill pay is multiplying time. It's, it's the system is doing something for me that I would have been doing otherwise, but I'm not because I have invested these two hours on the front end. And so that's, that is a, a classic, very simple example on, on, a, on a very direct level that applies to all of us of how automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money. Okay, so here's my question. What is your favorite app? Because that obviously is going to be a great automator. Well, uh, I'm not actually a huge app user, um, but you know, my favorite app is just my American Airlines app. Oh, because, good one. Yeah. It has my boarding pass on there, right? It's like I don't have to worry about what gate am I going to? Is 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 my, you know, plane on time and all that stuff. What are my miles? Can I book? It's it's I mean, the American Airlines app is such an amazing app. Um and so it just, you know, it saves me having to go to the check-in counter and it saves me having to print off my tickets and it saves me having to walk, you know, halfway down the terminal to to check the monitors to see what gate my connection is at. Mm. Um well, it also but, helps you focus because you're, you're not worried about that part of your trip. You can actually sit down there, relax, and then have an aha moment, make some notes, and then, oh, here, my phone's telling me I've got to get my stuff together. Yeah, that's right. Now, now I think that technology uh, can be deceptive, and not, not every piece of technology is an automatic uh, you know, automator of your time or multiplier of your time. In mm. fact, there's a lot of technology that is is a great waster of time. And, um, you know, if you think of your, you know, your inbox as an example. Oh, boy, yeah. Um, an inbox is really nothing other than a way to organize other people's priorities, right? You don't, most of us don't put our most, we don't use our inbox as a way of documenting what is the most important thing we want to do. Where it's almost always responding to other people and what they want to do, um, and and I'm not saying that you shouldn't use email. I mean, it's obviously a, a core part of how we communicate. But I'm saying that most of the multipliers, you know, this was a surprising um, part of the research because we profiled dozens of multipliers. In fact, eight of the profiles are included in the text of the book. But um, we kind of thought wow, these people are going to give us the secrets of like, how do they manage their inbox and how do they keep up with all the busy work and what, what app do they use and what, what's like their system. And in almost all the cases of the multipliers, they cited email as being something that drastically has reduced their effectiveness. And it's something that they are constantly having to fight off because if you think about significance again, Significance is about spending time on things today that create more time tomorrow. The significance calculation for most of us is the element of multiplying time that we have not been making consciously. There are certain times where we make significance calculations. It's like when a family member is dying, we suddenly realize, wow, there's nothing more valuable than me going to spend time with this person. But it's only in those sort of intense moments. And the rest of the time, 
we live in this world of urgency. And like I said, in the absence of significance calculation, we inappropriately overweight the urgency calculation. And the inbox is exactly that. It's There's something new coming in every few minutes. You can sit in front of your email all day long and answer it and never never actually get caught up. In fact, sometimes it seems like you send one, one email out and two of them come back. And so what we love about the focus funnel and, and the way that multipliers think is they have a level, an element of faith in themselves um, that that they trust their own mind and their own heart and their own spirit to guide them on what is the next most significant thing. They're not reliant on something. And it's kind of this paradox, right? Because we're talking about creating all these systems to manage workflow and things like that and to automate. But when it comes to deciding what is the thing that only I can do? It really is. It's a heart decision. And, and they don't trust that it, th- their inbox is going to tell them that. They kind of trust that, hey, when I wake up in the morning, I am going to automatically be led to, if I, if I give myself margin and I give myself space to breathe and I procrastinate on purpose with some of these insignificant, urgent, trivial, menial things, then my heart and my mind will guide me towards the next most significant significant activity. And so the purpose of the rest of the focus funnel, the eliminate, automate, delegate, um, and uh, procrastinate on purpose, the, the, the reason that those exist is not to help you become a master at doing everything. It's to, to create systems to handle everything else so that you can focus on the things that really are significant, so that you can concentrate on the things that only you can do. Huh. Now, for people that have read the book or are fascinated with this discussion, want to know more, where should they go? Oh, you know, um, here, here's what we did. You should go to procrastinateonpurpose.com. And we put up a free one-hour webinar where I teach the whole focus funnel methodology because some of this stuff is pretty radical. Um, we, we flat out come out and, and explode and contradict many of the most popular time management cliches that people have ever heard. And um, so you can check out a f- the free one-hour webinar, procrastinateonpurpose.com. And then if you like what you're hearing, uh, there's links there to buy the books. Um, you know, I have a weekly podcast and I have a blog I update three times a week and my Twitter and all that. So just go to procrastinateonpurpose.com and then that'll be the connection point to everything else. Awesome. You're a man after my own heart with excessive amounts of content all the time. Well, thank you, Mr. Bob. I, I appreciate what you're doing here and just your consistency. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, podcasting has become a fad and a trend. But you, my friend, you're one of the pioneers and you've been here since the beginning. And I, I love that about you. And I love your enthusiasm still for what you do. And, and it reminds me of, of one of the things we always tell people is just remember, no matter who you are or what you've done in the past, success is never owned. It's only rented, and the rent is due every day. Wow. And with that, Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. And really, that is the essence of the book. Rory, you were awesome as usual. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, my brothers. Good to be here. You take care. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show. And do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.